Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Good morning, everyone. And, and of course, welcome to another episode of The Places We'll Go. Um, you know, we're here every Friday at 8 a.m. where we get to interview an amazing guest about their life's journey. You know, we talk to them about how they reach the heights that they have, as well as, of course, some of the bumps along the way. Now, we are really privileged, as, as me and Mark keep saying, to have an amazing set of guests with us. And this week is genuinely no less whatsoever. And personally, I've been really looking forward to this one because Sherilyn, to me, has been a bit of a mentor for the last number of years. And it's genuinely really inspiring to see what she's constantly doing, iterating, and evolving the Marketing Academy. Uh, Sherilyn is probably one of the most well-known people in our industry, having founded what is the, the premier training ground for some of the most talented marketers in our land, and of course, now beyond in the US and Australia. It really almost feels like a, a rite of passage that if you're going to be a mover and shaker in marketing, that you earn your stripes on one of the many programs that the Marketing Academy has to offer. It prepares you for your leadership journey. It helps you find your purpose and probably gives you a network like none other. So when I think about the Marketing Academy, it, it holds a really special place in my heart, um, having gone through that experience as well as Mark has too. And what's really unique about the Academy is the fact that all learners get to go on this amazing experience for free because uh, Sherilyn is backed by some of the best sponsors in the world, given the real positive impact that, that they see that this, the Academy makes. Um, now, beyond this, to be honest, Sherilyn is such a kind and genuine person who really is always there to give anybody a helping hand, as she has done for both me and Mark many a time throughout the years. So today, we're going to really find out what makes Sherilyn tick, her motivations, her aspirations, and even her inspirations. So it's with great pleasure that this morning I get to welcome Sherilyn to the show, Sherilyn, it's really so good to have you on this morning. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. Aww. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna clip that intro, and I'm gonna make sure that's shown at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sherilyn, it's it's all true. So there you go. But look, it's a real pleasure. I'm gonna hand over to Mark to ask the first question. So, so um, just before the first question, actually, Sherilyn, uh, normally one of us does an intro, but we're gonna do a little double intro because, as Richie said. Both of us have benefited mas massively from being part of the Marketing Academy. So m my intro words as well. So um, honestly, Cheryl, I, I've got a massive debt of gratitude to the Marketing Academy. Uh, the fellowship year I did, I think, was pivotal in my self-awareness, leadership um, and, and indeed career and, and life, I would say. Um, so I owe you a massive debt of gratitude. And um, I will never forget the moment I met you. I've told you this before, but uh, it was at Paddington, the Hilton Hotel in Paddington. And uh, in the, that coffee area just outside the train station. And 
I was sat at one table and, and you were at the next one. And I wasn't 100% sure it was you because I hadn't sort of done LinkedIn. To, and there was this, this slightly mad woman swearing a lot, um, clearly sort of very high energy and, you know, making things happen. And then and, and we sort of eyes connected and I, I realized it was you. And I thought, this is, go- this is going to be interesting. If nothing else, this is going to be interesting. But little did I know what would th- that would then catalyze. Um, and, and, and in all the time I've known, nothing's changed. The swearing, the energy, the making things happen. Um, so I'm really particularly thrilled to have you on today. You, you know, you've changed many lives. Um, and maybe through today, you'll help people on their journeys as well. So brilliant to have you on. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad that you said that I swear because I, I might swear people in the room. That's, that's quite okay. It's because I'm inarticulate and so I forget a word. I get passionate about something and I forget a word and so I think, oh, I'll just put an F bomb in there. That's yeah, what there I we go. Well, F bombs are okay. Not from Richie and I, probably, but he's absolutely fine <laughs> here. So, so to, to get us started, Sherilyn, just, um, just as an, an in, um, where are you uh, and, uh, and how are you? I'm really well, really, really well. I'm in Newbury in Berkshire. I'm actually in the Marketing Academy's office. Um, we haven't been here for a year, but the Wi-Fi is so much better than my home. But it's freezing because we've had the heating off. And so I walked in this morning and it was like a nice box. But apart from that, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Yeah, I can't wait to travel. That's my thing. I'm old enough to get a vaccine really soon, which yeah. I'm thrilled about. I'm first in line for the over 50s, over 55. And so then I'll be able to travel and then I'll be happy because I'm normally in Australia for the whole of March. So I'm grieving for the, all the beautiful sights and smells and everything in Australia. Apart from that, I'm all good. You know, you know, Sheldon, it's funny you talk about Australia because I think the last time that we were sort of connecting, perhaps even this time last year, you literally just sort of made it back in the nick of time, right? If I hadn't have been, I was on the last but one plane out before lockdown. So I flew out on the Saturday and the UK went into lockdown on Monday. And that's when Australia shut their borders. So I was on the last but one plane out. And I think if I hadn't got out, I'm not sure I'd come back. <laughs> still been because Australia is still completely locked. That all their borders are, are shut. So that would have been tragic, wouldn't it? A whole year in Australia. I mean, that would have been awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm remembering that guy who stayed in Sri Lanka for a year to watch the cricket test. I, I mean, may, maybe you actually messed up there, Sharon, and you could have actually engineered that 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 event. But um, I did. I wasn't but, thinking straight. It wasn't my best moment. Well, hey, we were just on the cusp of a pandemic. We weren't all at the top of our game, but you know, we could, easy with hindsight. But um, you know, so gosh, this pandemic—you're such a high energy, um, uh, feed off of people interact with people um like to you know travel around the world how, how have you dealt with that where have you got your energy when some of those things have been denied you it's been amazing actually <laughs> if i can be really honest i know it's been shit for many people but apart from the fact that i really do miss the travel and and i miss and i i miss hugging right that's my biggest thing I miss hugging people and I miss the travel and I miss seeing the cohorts, all of our cohorts face to face. But if I'm honest, last year and going into this year gave us an opportunity to do things differently. And because all of our alumni and there's 700 of them around the world, because they all they all needed also to connect, you know, whilst everything was turning to shit, we decided that we would do a huge amount more um, of getting them together, we, all virtually, 
But we probably, last year, we delivered maybe 35, 40 events, bringing the community together. And so in all honesty, I was seeing people who I hadn't had the opportunity to see for years within, within the Marketing Academy community. Um, and therefore, uh, and I, so that was happening every other day. So it was, there was actually so much going on that it was quite an enjoyable time. And I've seen my family, spent time with my family, which because I travel, I, I can be out of the home for 26 weeks in a year, 20, 23 weeks in a year. And so to be able to be with them this entire year has been a gift. And missing the rest of my family, who I've not been able to see, uh, has been really shit. But again, I've caught up with them probably more often than I would if I was seeing them in person. So, you know, you've got to see, <laughs> you've just got to take advantage of whatever you can while all of this is happening and turn whatever you can into something that's going to be good for you and give you joy. You know, Sharon, uh, your, your positivity always shines through and I love that about you. Um, I mean, clearly you've done so many things differently than you would have this time last year, for example. I mean, what are some of the things that you think would sort of stick as we perhaps move back into some form of normality once everyone gets their vaccines? Are there things that you take and keep? Within the academy, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, we, <laughs> I was never into any virtual kind of learning of any kind. I mean, we, I used to think that we were quite unusual in that we wouldn't and didn't do anything virtually. Um, and that was kind of almost more contemporary because everything in learning had, was already switching towards virtual. And within the scholarship and the fellowship, to be honest, um, we will go back to in-person and we'll, we'll keep it in-person. Those two programs will remain unchanged. But we have created an entire program, which is an online virtual program for our community and their teams all over the world. And that would never have happened. And we've currently got three and a half thousand people enrolled on that program on the Marketing Academy virtual campus. And we've given and are giving a thousand places to anybody who's been made redundant or a furloughed or a facing career transition and crisis. Um, and we're delivering a program of 24 learning lessons over the course of a year, all delivered live, but with a hub where they can go and see all of the recordings on demand. And, and it's amazing. And we're, we're, we're three or four sessions in and the feedback we're getting is amazing and engagement is amazing. And we would never have done that without what happened last year. It was never part of the roadmap. We never even considered we'd find a way to open the doors to the learning of the academy because it's so exclusively for the scholars and the fellows every year. Um, and so that's created an, an amazing, incredible opportunity for us to share what we do and what we teach uh, globally to what will probably be about 10,000 people enrolled by the summer. So you know, that's a big Cheryl, that's, that's gonna be really good news to a lot of people listening in right now, right? So there are more ways to get involved with the Marketing Academy, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many silver linings. We'll, we'll, we'll come on very shortly to why you created the Marketing Academy. But before that, let's, let's rewind a little bit and just tell us about the journey that got you, that got you to that point from the, from the beginning. Well, uh, so firstly, uh, I'm not a marketer, which people find surprising given that I run a business called the Marketing Academy. But I'm not a marketer and I've never been a marketer. I think I would have made... A good one. I would have been good agency side. I think I would have made a good 
suit. I think that, that would have been my, my thing. Um, but that wasn't my path. So I came to what I now do in a very unusual way. So my actual career, 20 years of it, was spent as a headhunter, uh, which was a career I fell into. So I was, you know, I'm born of a businesswoman mother. So my mum was kind of like the iconic um, shining light example in my life, role model, mentor, everything in my life. And she ran a, a small business and she was the breadwinner and my dad was the house husband, which, you know, in the mid 60s was unusual. And uh, I left school at 16. So I didn't go to college or uni because I went straight into the family business. And once you've worked for your, for your, your parents, so I think that you kind of become a bit unemployable. <laughs> In the, you know, I would never be told anything. You know, I was extremely um, strong-willed and strong-minded. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have been a very easy person to manage. And so, and then my mum got very ill. My father died when I was 19, unexpectedly. My mum got really ill um, with me mental health uh, issues, extremely ill, and stayed in, in a very bad condition for 20 years. But effectively, through that illness, we, the family went bankrupt. We, you know, we went bankrupt. We lost all our money. We lost the house. We lost the business. We lost our home. We lost the business. And so I had to get a proper job. <laughs> that was not easy. When I bummed around for ages, I mean, I just, I didn't do anything really for years. And then in my early 20s, in mid 20s, um, I was in a pub one night and met a guy and said, you know, I need a job. And he said, you should get into recruitment. And I said, what's that? I'd only ever been in retail. And um, he said, well, we sell people. I thought, oh. I thought, wow, there's a lot of supply. <laughs> there's probably a lot of demand. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. And I said, what do you have to be good at to be in recruitment? And he said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's it, then. that's it. That's the job for me. And it was, and I got, I got a job with his company. And then uh, when I was 30, just on, uh, just over 30, I bought the company that I was managing. So I did an MBO and bought the company. And then I ran that business for the next uh, 12, 15 years. Um, and I was really good at it. And I was, I was very successful. So it's a very lucrative industry. And, and you know, I made, made quite a bit of money, but I hated it. I didn't, I didn't like the industry at all. It was ruthlessly commercial quite cutthroat um, and a bit soulless. And I wasn't really aware how much I, I hated it until I had a bit, of a, a bit of a kick up the backside in that I became very, very ill. So one, one night or early morning, three o'clock in the morning, I woke up in excruciating pain. And within hours, I was in intensive care and I stayed in intensive care for three weeks. And the illness that I had um, could have killed me within hours, a little bit like meningitis. But, and I remember um, lying on my hospital bed and the doctor and, and my husband were talking over my head. And the doctor said, when people show up with this, you know, we look at their symptoms on a scale of one to 10. And if they're a one, we give them an aspirin and send them home. And if they're a 10, that's a very quick, very painful death. And I'm afraid to say that your wife is a nine. <laughs> I thought, holy shit. I literally thought, just give me more morphine. If I'm gonna die, I'm going out on a haze of morphine. 
But it was a really, really big wake-up call, obviously, which I thank, thank the universe for, actually, because it completely changed everything I did in my life. And I remember thinking, lying in that hospital bed, I had a nine-month-old baby. My other two daughters were 10 and 11. And um, I honestly thought, my God, if I go now, if I die today, this is, what a shit day to die. Well, this is shit. You know, I haven't been the best mother because I haven't been there because I was working 16, 18 hour days. I mean, insanity. When you run your own business and you're on that treadmill of, you know, commercial endeavor and you're trying to get rich and you're trying to keep your wealth and you get stuck on this treadmill, that means that you just cannot get off. Um, I was working myself into the ground. So I hadn't been the best mother I could be. hadn't been the best wife I could be. And I didn't feel like I'd made any kind of a dent or an impact on the world. I didn't feel like I was doing good in the world. And um, I remember thinking, I'm lying in that hospital in Reading, intensive care, thinking, if I get through this, I need to make some big changes. And actually, it took me, it didn't take me very long to recover physically. I was probably well within about six months, but it took me two years to recover psychologically and to fathom out what it was, what had got me there, what had, how had that all manifested? And what did that mean I was going to do going forward? And the Marketing Academy was a result of that process I went through. Wow. Sherilyn, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's genuinely, uh, you know, great to hear some of the realities of what running your own business actually entails and the toll that it can have on you, especially when you're doing it in a space that you're not entirely happy with. There's a friction between heart and head potentially in that scenario. But then, you know, moving forward. I I would often say it's like a rip in your soul. If if you're, if you're, if you're in any endeavor, in any, in any working environment, if your, if your values and, you know, the truth of who you are is not aligned to what you're doing or the place in which you're doing it. I feel that's like a rip in the soul, but we don't often give ourselves the time and space to really look at it and face into it and ask ourselves, you know, the hard questions about it. We really, really don't do that. Don't do enough. I did find my Ikigai. We teach Ikigai on the scholarship as the guys know. Um, and I did find my Ikigai, although it wasn't around then. <laughs> it wasn't well, a thing then, but it is now. <laughs> but, but what's remarkable, though, is, is, you know, reflecting on the type of things that you focus in on the academy. Clearly, there's a lot of your sort of personal reflections as to how the curriculum has then been developed over time, which is pretty cool in, in that sense. So there's a lot, a lot of you, your heart that goes into that, into that process. Um, I want to I want to pick up a little bit, Sherilyn, on sort of the road less traveled, because quite frankly, the, the marketing academy has a really unique model that you've been able to successfully sort of carve out. Um, I mean, clearly, there must have been loads of bumps in the road trying to get, you know, the supply and demand side of things together, get the sponsorship going on, get the cutting edge people to help deliver this loads of different kind of component parts. I mean, how did you do that? With a lot of help from my friends. <laughs> it's not me it really isn't so all I often say all I had was the idea right and that idea you know started as a tiny little nugget inspired by I do a complete talk about it because it was inspired by loads of what I call fortunate events that kind of all clicked into place at the same time my absolute driver was 
to do something that was developing talent because that's what I discovered was my passion point and what gave me joy. And you don't develop talent as a headhunter. You might move them around a bit, but you do not develop them. You disconnect from them as soon as you place them in a job and you never see them again. And I was on the board of a leadership development company, The Living Leader, which is embedded in the scholarship program. So all of our scholars have been through that program. And I was on their board and I had been through their their, um, program and I had become a trained facilitator in it. And that was one of the parts of my life that I would always glow when I spoke about it. And so I realized that that was where my passion was. So whatever I did had to be around developing talent and it needed to be in an industrial function that was going to make the biggest impact on the world because I wanted to create something that was philanthropic I, I wanted to harness the generosity of all of the movers and shakers the guys that, and girls that have been there seen it and done it and I wanted to create a platform where they all could pay forward their knowledge and therefore if they were going to do that for free I needed to make sure it was something that wasn't paid for because I was utilizing their knowledge and I needed it to be in an industry and function that would have the biggest ripple effect of the learning. And I'd always believed that marketing, media and advertising can change the world because marketers are the direct communication with the customer and and the consumers and therefore the citizens of the planet. So the only function and industries that really can influence how people think, how people act, what choices they make, what decisions they make, what causes they're gonna get behind. It's all stemming from marketing, media, communications and advertising. So that was why I chose for it to be in that industry. And that was all I had. I had this idea that said, let's, let's bring together the people at the top. Let's identify the emerging talent underneath them provide a platform to get them together, cross industry, cross sector, jobs are good. (laughs) And that was all I had. And so I started to share that. And as a headhunter, the one big thing you get is a fantastic black book, right? Headhunters don't like to admit it. It's absolutely true. You have a black book. And therefore I had some quite high profile, significant and very generous people in my life to share the concept with. I wrote a one page straw man strategy document. I sent it to nine people and I said, is this, am I, is this mad or do you think this could be a goer? And all nine of them said, this, it's amazing. You've really got something. I'll help you work it out. I'll help you figure it out. And, you know, then they led me to other people and the other people led me to other people. And, you know, once you've got a few kind of FTSE CEOs or CMOs supporting you, it's not then hard to to get other people to to lean in and get and get involved. So I think there were probably about two hundred people involved in the academy before we launched. So in the, in the year in which it took us to really figure it out, there were at least two hundred people involved, and they're the ones they're the ones that came up with you know how, what it then became. And now there's twelve hundred people involved. Um, so, you know, with a lot of help from my friends, that's, that's, that's how we did it. And a lot of talking to people and telling, preaching. I mean, I am passionate about it. I am, I'm just totally passionate about everything that we do. I think that's important, you know, when you, when you need support and when you need to inspire people to kind of lean in, 
you need to be able to be absolutely passionate about what you're, what you're talking about. Because if you're not, it shows. <laughs> and if you are, it shows. And if you are, it's catching. And even if it's not for them, you know, they're still kind of leaning in to find out more, more about it. So I guess I was able to use that passion. I love that top tip, by the way. Super. Yeah, honestly, Sharon, I think you're unrivaled in terms of ability to create followership. Um, and, I, and I love the fact that the Marketing Academy started as a one-pager. Uh, and it. also, I yeah, well, I, you know, I should share it with the fellows. Should, I'll send it to the fellows, the one-pager. You should do that because it shows what's possible from, you know, out of small acorns. Also, you talked about marketing um, influence on society. My, my, my definition of marketing is marketing done well can change the world for the better. Um, and you, you, you've shown that. Just... My, the hairs were on the, up on the back of my neck when you were talking about your life story. I, I learned some things that I, I didn't know. Um, and you, you mentioned a couple of times about mental wellness, mental well-being. That, that's, that's a conversation which has changed quite radically in the last couple of years. I'm just interested to know your, your position on that, what, what you try and do in that space for yourself and others, the Marketing Academy's position on mental health, what, what you observe in the world around that, that whole thing. Well, our industry actually marketing media and advertising i guess it's because it's right at the coalface to suffer from um you know mental ill health more than some other functions do um especially the agencies i guess because of the amount of pressure they're under um and we do as much as we can to support all of the cohorts through through it so we do quite a bit around wellness in the scholarships um we do because we do a lot about purpose in the scholarship particularly um, and, and I believe that your mental well-being can be improved if you ensure that there are enough things within your life that give you joy. You know, there's a, there's a balance. There's always going to be things in your life that are turning to shit. It's, it happens all, you know, that pandemic or no pandemic, that's going to be happening. As long as there are things in your life that give you real joy, um, that you can really get excited about, that give you the energy then I believe that you can find the balance. Look, mental health is really, really important to me because I lost my mother through mental ill health. You know, she was diagnosed schizophrenic, manic, manic depressive, chronic depressive. She had it all. I had to, at 19 years old, I had to sign the papers to get her sectioned into a psychiatric hospital and give permission for them to give her electric shock treatment which I have always believed completely fried her brain. They, they say it works. They don't know how it works. It didn't work for my mother. Um, and therefore, I've always been hyper aware that this can happen to the brightest, most outgoing, most alive people, which is what my mum was before that happened to her. So making sure that you've got things in your life that just completely fill you with joy, I think is very important. And isolating and identifying those people or even organisations that drain you of it. <laughs> There's, we've got a fantastic speaker in Australia. He's one of my scholars, and he now comes back and talks to all of the um, all of the scholars, Sean Hall, and he runs a wellness business. And you know, he he does some fantastic sessions about identifying who the mood hoovers are and who the drains are, and the emotional vampires. You know, the people that suck the living daylight out of you every day. <laughs> you know, 
don't have those people in your life. You know, work out who they are and actively decide not to spend time with those people. Spend time with the people that, you know, you get energy from and you can give energy from because I think that helps. But, you know, what also helps is a huge amount of discipline, self-discipline. You know, you have to have sleep. You have to turn off. I spoke to my scholars in the States uh, this week, uh, last week, this week, and they are so depleted, so low on energy, so distraught with what's happening in the in the States and what has been happening over the last year. And, you know, one of the questions was, you know, how do we, when we've got so many meetings, you know, back to back to back to back, you know, how do we carve out time? And I said, stop taking so many fucking meetings. Just don't accept the meetings because if you're in a working environment and you're traveling around, so you're in London and you're traveling from meeting to meeting, even inside a building, you've got 15, 20 minute gaps in between the meetings, right? But if you're traveling out to see clients or to see agencies, you're like 40, 45 minutes between meetings. If I'm not careful, my diary will go back to back to back to back to back. I will go from call to call to call to call to call. So you have to be disciplined about putting in time in between and finding two hours every week that you put in your diary to do absolutely nothing. This is your thinking time. It's to do nothing. I've got these blocks in my diary now every week. And um, my team know that I am there if they need me. If I've got this little blue block that says planning, <laughs> that's, that's the time that I'm just going to recover a bit. And I might go out for a walk or I might, I'm going to go and make a cup of tea or I might actually read a paper or, you know, something like that. I still read papers at 55 years old. My daughters don't get that. So they go, who needs papers nowadays? Anyway, so a bit of self-discipline, I think is important. Um, physical health is important, sleep is important, water is important, and then being super, super disciplined about the way in which you manage your time. You are in far more control than you think you are. We're attracted to being in meetings. Do we really need to be in meetings? If you're in a leadership role and you're in lots of meetings, you're not leading properly because you're not delegating enough. And your people are asking you to be there because they're not empowered to make the decisions themselves. So you've got to really ask yourself, do I really need to be in this meeting? Is this meeting something that only I can contribute? Or do other people need me there because I'm a bit of a crutch? And if I'm a bit of a crutch, does that mean that maybe I'm not giving them enough autonomy or enough empowerment or enough development? So those are the sorts of things I think yoga and meditation is also really good. We have a monk in Australia who comes and does meditation with us at boot camp. It's amazing. What a, what a brilliant answer and, and such a holistic answer, quite frankly, about ways in which we all can sort of, you know, help help our own mental well-being. So, Sherilyn, thank you so much for that. Um, just a comment here from Keith. He talks about just saying, he wants to say thank you for, for sharing your story about your mom. Um, and I know that we've spoken before about it as well. So it's clearly, you know, made a massive dent in your life, um, you know, in, in many different sort of ways. But I want to change tack a little bit and stick on that theme and just ask through all these experiences, you know, running the 18 hour days and now the last year where you've been able to spend more time with your family. Um, tell me, how, how would you say you are as a mom? As a mom, oh, I could be better. <laughs> I could be better. That's what I'm like as a mom. I'm better with my now 15 year old. 
um, than I was when my older two were, were very young. I was quite absent. I really was. I made some really stupid choices. I was the breadwinner. So my husband um, has always run our lives. <laughs> um, and I just was absent. I just wasn't there. I became better as a mother, I think, as they got into their teens, where, you know, the, so my husband is like the anchor of their life. So they idolize him. And it's because he's been there for them their entire life. But of course, they're girls, they're three girls. So when they got into teenage, there was certain stuff that they weren't going to go to their dad with that they did feel that they could come to me. And I felt like I'd become a better mother when they were in their, when they were in their teens. And I went through all that awful learning curve that you go through when you're a new parent. And, you know, when you first start to hit the adolescent years, which are pretty shit, got to be honest. And, you know, we don't lead our children in the way that we lead our teams, which is a bit of a shit, really. So because we care so much about our kids, you know, we desperately, desperately try and control what they do because we're so worried about them and we're so you know fearful for them and we've got such high expectations of what they they can achieve because they're just full of potential and we don't want them to screw anything up for them but actually if we hold on to that space then we really really are not giving our children the opportunity to, to fly and we just need to think about allowing them to make some of their own decisions and their own mistakes and very often I'll, um, they'll, they'll tell me something that's going on for them. Um, and I'll go into a bit preachy mode and they'll go, why do you always have to turn everything into a life lesson? <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. I've done it again. And then, okay, it just happened last weekend. My middle daughter said, she's, she's on a rant about something. And I switched into solution mode. So I go, well, what you need to do is this, this, this. She went, for Christ's sakes, I just wanted to rant. And I thought, oh, God, yeah, she did. She just wanted a ramp. And I switched into, I want to solve this because I love you so much. I can't bear to see you going through this. Well, I would never do that with my, one of my team. You know, if one of my team was ranting about something, I'd go, how do you feel you should manage it? If you knew this might be an outcome, what might you do next? You know, I, I'd switch into yeah. coaching leadership mode. Yeah. Why you don't do that with your children, I think. It's because there's so much love for them that you just want to take away any emotion that isn't joy from them. You know, you want to you want to save them from it. So I don't know. I'm still a work in progress. But um, yeah, a lot a lot that I and I'm sure everybody can relate to. Y yes, you are guilty of turning things into life lessons. But but actually, I reframe that a little bit to say actually that you're brilliant at reframing things. And you once told me that. You had been uh, in a traffic, uh, you, were, you know, you're in traffic with your daughter in the car uh, and you would have normally been like effing and jeffing because you were late. And then you had an epiphany to say, well, this is the first time in ages I've been able to have quality time with my daughter. I'm going to appreciate it. And it's the best conversation we've had in quite a while. So so you are very good at reframing things, typically in a, an extremely positive way. Now, if I link that, Matt's asked a question, what defines leadership for you? So. The Marketing Academy is there to reframe and reset people's lives and to build leaders. So through your eyes, what, what defines great leadership? Great leaders, uh, the great leaders ensure that the other people around them are inspired, empowered and developed to be the best they can possibly be, in my view. So great leadership is about enabling others. It really is about supporting other people. And that was a big learning for me. I was very, very selfish. <laughs> I was running my own business. It was all about me. 
Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. Um, you know, I had a mission, I had a goal, I had a revenue target, I had, I had a picture of how much money I wanted to make, and I was going to get there regardless. I was possibly a good manager. I didn't even know what leadership was. And there's a big difference between management and leadership. You know, management, good management, and there's a place for it, is all about enabling people to get the job done in the way it needs to get done, or the way that the manager needs it to get done, you know, using spreadsheets and bloody Gantt charts and your budget is this and the time scales is this and managing and controlling those things is what a manager does. What a leader does is inspire and enable that person to do it for themselves. So management is about control and leadership is about freedom. And it took me years to get my head around that, years and years and years. You know, good management has its place, but if the manager falls under a bus or leaves the company or gets ill or just isn't there, you know, what's the likelihood of the of the people in that team stepping up and delivering a solution that wasn't even theirs in the first place or that they didn't buy into, they were just told what to do. Whereas if a leader is inspiring and empowering them to do it for themselves, then the leader doesn't need to be there. Which is again why I said, why, you know, if you're, a, if you're in a leadership position and your, and your day is packed with meetings with your people, rather than the people above you, you know, you're not leading. You're probably doing more management. And there is a time for that. So leadership for me, it stems from generosity of spirit, I believe. So it's the givers that make the better leaders. It's the it's those that are focused on others, not self. And we look for that in our selection processes and both the scholarship and the fellowship. You know, we look for you oriented, not me oriented or not I um, so those people that are, are givers, those people that will share, those people that will give time to others, um, because they're likely to be better at, at, at leading. And exceptional leaders in our in our philosophy make other people better, you know, enable other people to be better. The mark of outstanding leadership, we say, is how many other leaders you develop. And, and that's it for me. And to get there, you know, you need to be the best version of yourself you can possibly be which is the other thing that we teach which is a bit of a surprise and that is that you know we teach that unless you sort your shit out first you don't even deserve to be in the privileged position of leading and influencing other people so you have to be the best version of yourself you can possibly be first and I think people lose that and over the pandemic that we've really lost that because we care about other people so much. We want to give other people all of our energy because we care so much, right? But we often say within the scholarship is a little bit like the, the kid on the plane, you know, when they come up, when you first stand on it and sit on the plane and they give you the emergency warning and they go, when the oxygen mask drops down, if you've got a child next to you, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before the child. And every mother goes, no fucking way. <laughs> There's no way I would do that. I just wouldn't do that. I'd save my child. Well, no, you, if you did and you screwed that up and you died, you've definitely killed a child. So we, we will say you have to put yourself first because if you don't, you cannot serve the people around you. So it's a bit of a dichotomy. But, you know, what that means is, you know, work on yourself. Understand who you are why you are who you are, what your place is in the world, what your spikes are, the things that you are brilliant at, and ensure that you build on all that stuff and start there. Because anybody can become a great leader, Mark. That's our absolute belief. 
anybody. If you've got influence over anybody in your life in any context, so that if you've got brothers and sisters, if you've got kids, if you've got a best mate, if you've got peers, you don't have to be in a position of hierarchy. You don't have to be, you know, in a position of power. If you've got influence, even in if you've got influence over making someone else smile, that's leadership to us. I love that. I, I love that notion. And by the way, inadvertently, you've probably given away some of your top tips around when people are thinking about the academy, because I can see a couple of questions coming through about the scholarship program and, and Gemma Buggins asked specifically around some tips around applying for a place. But I think you've sort of nailed it on the head about some of the key things to look out for. So we'll, we'll move on from that. I'm conscious that we've only got three minutes left. So perhaps um, the, either the last question or the penultimate one uh, coming from Craig Ingalls. Um, so you, you've achieved so much already, um, but what's your dream for the Marketing Academy and what could it become? I'm going into a bit of a rethink at the moment because we never expected to do the virtual campus. So that's like, I mean, that's a potential game changer, I think. Um, I've always wanted for every country in the world to have the Marketing Academy embedded in it. I mean, if if somebody came along tomorrow and went, here you go, it's five million quid, just go do this. I'd have the Marketing Academy in every country. I'd do the scholarship and the fellowship all around the world. And that's still part of the roadmap. But, you know, we're a not-for-profit organization. We don't have the budgets to, to... to build we have to build very slowly and organically um but i'm attracted to setting up the academy in the middle east i'm attracted to setting up in south africa and i'm attracted to setting it up in asia um but i I believe that the virtual campus could be massive i mean at the moment the virtual campus program is for our community and their teams it's a gift back to the industry that supports us so it's not an open and public program you have to know somebody that's involved in the academy to get on it unless you're redundant furloughed and if you are I'll send a link to Richie and you can enroll um but that's got the possibility of god knows what going forward um you know I've always wanted to be kind of like the Harvard of the industry the Harvard of the industry mixed with Soho House that's kind of my that's kind of my I love it but I'm actually thinking there's maybe an opportunity to be, you know, much more broader and open and actually provide what we do to hundreds of thousands of people. Whereas at the moment it's hundreds a year and through the virtual campus will be thousands and maybe we can get to a place where we do hundreds of thousands. Sharon, I just have to say that the virtual academy sign up process sounds like Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do that on purpose. It, it grew really quickly. It kind of all happened by accident. But yeah, maybe it's a bit was like it? Clubhouse and I don't like that. So maybe in the, you know, once we've figured it out and we know exactly what we're doing, we'll do something much wider and broader with it. But at the moment, we're just Sounds sticking good. with it, make sure it works. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, amazing, amazing, Shirley. I mean, it's, it's 8, 8.44 and we, well, commitments to try and get away at quarter two. So time has gone in a flash. Um, I, I, and what a lovely way to end that the Marketing Academy might touch hundreds of thousands of people. Um, that you know, that's that's an inspiring vision, and I'm I'm sure you'll you achieve it because when you set your minds to things, you you, you do. We've had some lovely comments, uh, Nick Veldy, great coaching session, uh, Emma Miles, thank you so much for this, so inspiring for a Friday afternoon. Obviously not on UK time zone, um, but uh, lots of we haven't been able to get through all the questions. We could have gone on and at least doubled the time. Uh, it's been brilliant having you on, Sherilyn. I'm I'm going to do a quick wrap just to play back what what I heard because um, there were some lovely messages in there. You started saying joy a bit. So I did a little tally count. You said joy eight times, I think, seven or eight times. 
I, I think it's such an important thing to recognize that you have to sort of almost tell yourself you're enjoying something, otherwise you might lose the moment and forget that you don't. Um, that was brilliant. I love the fact that TMA started as a one-pager and created a huge ripple effect. Watch out for the emotional vampires. Um, really interesting, I've heard of millions of definitions of leadership versus management. Management is control, leadership is freedom. Uh, that was brilliant. And you also said leaders develop leaders um, and it's a privilege to serve as a leader. Uh, and most of all, perhaps look after yourself because then you're best able to help others to develop. Cheryl, it's been brilliant, uh, so inspiring, so many great messages. And uh, Richie, your, your observations too. Yeah, totally. Well, Sherilyn, first of all, amazing. I mean, I love, love hearing you speak, quite frankly, all the time. Um, but a few things that really stood out to me that, that are besides from what Mark perhaps put up uh, was, was around finding your purpose actually can help with mental health. I thought that was a, that's quite, a, quite a profound sort of way of thinking about it. And, and actually finding those few key things in your life that really make you happy can have a real prolific impact. On, on the way that you you know you 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 look at life and your outlook towards life and of course your mental health, um, thinking about uh, generosity of spirit, um, you know, thinking about others not yourself was was a big one. Uh, be the best version of yourself. So I guess you've got to kind of know yourself first before you can then actually go out and really help help others in this way. Um, the final one for me, well, the final two. I love the the oxygen mask analogy. I think that really brought home um, exactly how we should be thinking about situations. Um, in life and leadership. And then finally, around your future ambition, around just being so lofty. And it started as a one-pager, and today it's reached some amazing heights, but yet it just feels like you're at the start of a new journey, a new chapter, um, and, and as ambitious to, to take over the world. So it's just brilliant. Thank you. I'm blushing again now. Yeah. Well, look, I'm glad I've been, I've been of service, and uh, I hope everybody's got something out of this today. Well, I thoroughly can, enjoyed definitely. this. I want one of those screensaver things. I want that. I want your places will go show thing behind me. Well, we, can, to... we can arrange that. The, the, the comments still streaming in, um, so you know um, it, it, we could go on and. and but uh, I just wanted to say thank you, Sherilyn. And um, ne next week we on the show eight o'clock as ever UK time. We've got Sarah Warby, who is also uh, one of Sherilyn's Marketing Academy fellows. A brilliant marketing career, Sainsbury's board, done startup. Um, they have done, done all sorts of things in an amazing career, including going into non-exec ships as well. Um, so some great lessons next week as well. But for now, Sherilyn, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed thank it. You. I'll get up early for you to any kind. <laughs> amazing. Thank you, you're very kind. <laughs> have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, bye, bye. bye.